Well, hey, good morning. How we doing? Good. Hey, thank you guys for uh, braving some cold weather and gross roads and getting to church this morning. Um, can we thank Tara for leading us in worship? Weren't you guys blessed by that? Encouraged by her. Um, thankful that she took the time to come up here and help us with that. Do me a favor. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. We are continuing our march through the book of Ephesians. And uh, I titled this message this morning, um, I titled it Two Genuine Needs. And if you're taking notes, you kind of see that at the top. The title is called Two Genuine Needs. And the reason I call it that is because there's something interesting that happens to Michiganders this time of year. We start to get confused with what we want and what we actually need. Here's what I mean. It, you know, it is February. We are in the teeth of winter. And I start to talk to people. And guess what I hear over and over and over again? I need to see the sun, right? If I don't see the sun, I'm going to die. It's been like 47 straight days of gray. I've got to find that burning circle in the sky, right? Others are like, I need to go to Florida, right? Just get me out of here. It becomes a need. And our whole lives revolve around, when is that trip? When can I get out of the winter? You know, it's, I need a night away from my kids, I need my coffee in the morning or I can't function. And the truth is, is all of those things are good things. I'm not out on Florida or the sun or coffee or any of those things, but they're not actually needs, right? Like we can survive without them, but they become so important to us that we think they're needs. Well, what Paul's going to do today is he's going to talk about two genuine needs we have. Paul's saying, hey, listen, these aren't wants, these aren't desires, these aren't things that would be nice, these are things that are essential for our life. And, and so what he's talking about for us is really important today. And here's the big idea, it's this. It's because you and I need to become more like Jesus, we need to be deeply engaged in a local church. Because you and I need to become more like Jesus, we need to be deeply engaged in a local church. And um, I'm just going to lay my cards out on the table. This is one of those weeks where if you want to, you can easily accuse me of self-dealing, can't you? Like some of you are looking at me and you're like, wow, I'm at church today and the pastor's telling me about how important it is for people to come to church. Shocking, Right? It's like his job is on the line if people don't come. Of course, this is what he wants us to do. He's working to his own ends. Look at me. I don't care. Here's why. Because I'm so confident that what you're going to see is God's word lay this out so clearly. And if you view God's word as the authority, you're going to be on the same exact page as me. So I'm not even sweating your stink eye right now. This is what God's word says. My job is to preach the truth, and I'm excited to see what the Lord does. So look at Galatians 4, starting at verse 1. He says this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, if you take notes in your Bible, underline verse 1, because this is a major transitional uh, verse in the entire book. For the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul's been focusing primarily on theology, what is the gospel? Who are we in Christ? Look at all that God has done for us. And in verse four is this transition where he's like, in light of these things, now we are called to live and walk in a manner worthy of this great gift and calling he has laid on our lives. And what happens is, is chapters four through six, he's going to explain what it looks like to live in a way that is worthy of the calling. So the first thing we need to figure out is what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy? 
Well, here's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about maturity. When, when he says walk in a manner worthy, he, he's saying we are called as followers of Christ to strive towards and to live in growing spiritual maturity in Christ. Did you know that one of the most common ways the Christian experience is described in the Bible is this idea of being born again? Jesus talks about this in John 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? So there's this amazing thing happens where you are saved and you're not saved to perfection. God doesn't just zap you right into heaven as soon as you believe in Christ. We're not even saved to maturity, but it says we are saved and we become like spiritual babies, We're saved as infants, and then we have the calling in our life to grow into spiritual maturity. It's how God has designed it to work. Look at verse 2. It says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what it does... What does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. All right, so there's a lot there, and I'm going to kind of break that down in a second. But here's what Paul's saying. If the call on our life, if the goal is maturity, the vehicle by which we get there is the local church. All right, he, he's saying God has given us this thing called the church that is the vehicle that helps us get to maturity. And I don't want you to miss this. You see, Paul is going to spend the next three chapters talking about a lot of things. He's going to talk about work. He's going to talk about marriage. He's going to talk about parenting. He's going to talk about relationships. Like He's going to talk about a ton of aspects of life, but where does he start He starts with the church and how we interact with one another. For Paul, it was of first most importance that we are deeply connected to a church that loves one another well. Look at verse two again. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so what happens is in verses four and five, he talks about all of the things that you and I have in common. We have one God. We worship the same God. We have the same spirit of God that lives in us. We have the same Lord Jesus Christ. The whole Trinity is mentioned in verses four and five. We have one baptism. We have one faith. He's like, we have these things we share in common. And then in verses seven through 10, he's talking about how Jesus, he has equipped us all with spiritual gifts that we have been given gifts that help build up the body, that these gifts are not for us to take and hoard and be selfish with, but they're given to us to serve and love other people. And we've had messages in the past where we've laid out those spiritual gifts and worked through those. I don't have time to do that on an individual basis, but the idea is, is all of us have gifts that we need to give to one another to build up the body of Christ. And then in verses 11 through 13, he says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He starts talking about different offices in the church. Why does he go to such length to describe this? 
Well, he says it in verse 12, look. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he's saying all of this we've been given because God wants us to grow to maturity. And I wanna kind of help make clear what are all of these words like apostles and prophets? Well, they all have different functions and throw up the next slide. The apostolic function, it's pushing us onward and helping us not get stuck, right? If you remember a couple weeks ago, we asked the question, hey, what's the next yes you need to say to God? What's that next area of growth? That's an apostolic question. We're trying to move forward together in our faith. There's the prophetic. It's telling us like it is, warning us to stay pure and godly in all that we do. There's the evangelists. They help us not become ingrown, reminding us that there's a world out there that needs Jesus. The pastoral, they're sensitive to people and their needs. They focus on the people, not just the programs. And there's teachers that provide systematic instruction, guiding us to take in the account of of the whole counsel of God's word in all that we do. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that God has equipped the church to function uniquely as a vehicle that we would grow into maturity. That's why we come together. That's why we worship, so that we might glorify God and grow in him. Okay, but here's the problem. Most Christians don't believe that the church is even necessary anymore. Did you know that? A couple years ago, Barna Research Group, they did a poll of American Christians, and here's what they said. They said 51% believe it is not too important or not important at all to even be involved in a church. It says more millennials, this was wild to me, are actively anti-church than believe church attendance is important. And by the way, this was before the pandemic, and I promise you those numbers have not swung the opposite way. You know, it's interesting, my grandpa was a very, very successful businessman in Illinois. And what happens is, is when you're successful at anything and you get older, people start to come and ask you for advice. They want to learn from you. It makes sense. Well, my grandpa, he would get young businessmen with young families all the time asking him for business advice. And it'd be like, hey, I've got this job in Houston, Texas. It's a job offer. Should I move my family and uproot them and take it? It's more money. It's more responsibility. I think it might be my dream job. Or I've got a job in California. And they'd be like, what do I do? Do do I explore these job opportunities? And my grandpa would always say something that surprised them. He would say, here's what you need to do don't accept any job until you'd go down there and spend a couple weekends down there and make sure you can find a good church that you and your family can plug in and be a part of. You see, my grandpa knew that God's primary call on our life was not the dream job or making a little bit more money, but it is that we would grow to become more like Jesus Christ, and we need the church if that is going to happen. You know, just last Friday, we have this thing at church that we do from time to time called Party with the Pastors. Um, Any of you been to Party with the Pastors? Raise your hand if you've been to Party with the Pastors, right? If you haven't raised your hand, look, you see everyone's doing it. You're totally missing out, right? Joke's on you. Um, Here's what we do. We, We just spend some time with people new in our church. They could be here a couple months, a couple weeks, maybe a year, and we just share who we are. This is what we're about. This is some of our theology. This is how we do ministry. This is our philosophy. They get to know us a little bit. And then at the end, we have a a time where my dad and I kind of stand up in front of everyone and we say, ask us whatever you want. And if you think about it, that's kind of a terrifying spot for me to be in, right? 
These are people that I don't know really well. They don't know me really well. And I'm saying, ask us anything. It can be about finances. It can be about doctrine. Just whatever you want to know, this is a good time to ask. Here's why we do that. Because we believe so strongly that to be engaged in a local church is vital. I would rather have someone leave party with the pastors knowing for sure that we're not the church for them than to be here and not be engaged because they're unsure. Does that make sense? Like this past Friday, I had people come to me and they're like, oh, Cal, thank you so much. We had some questions. You answered all of them. We're so excited to get in a small group and plug in. This is our church, right? And I had some people that were like, this is definitely not our church. And it's like, great, I love you. Here's a list of other good churches that I would recommend. But what I want is deep involvement. Look at verse 14. Why is this important? So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see what he's saying here? He's saying we can't stay children. We need to grow and mature. And what he does in this text is he gives three marks of spiritual babiness, or maybe a better way to say it is, I've got three ways that you can guarantee that you stay a spiritual baby. Here's the first way. Be self-absorbed. If you want to not grow in Christ and stay a baby, it's really, really easy. Just make everything about yourself. Look at verse two. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Do you see how all of those words are the exact opposite of selfishness? It's humility, viewing others as greater than yourself. Patience, gentleness, bearing with one another. That, that implies even when it's not easy. And see, here's the thing about babies, right? Their world revolves around them, right? You're holding a baby right now. When that baby's hungry, it cries, right? It wants what it wants, when it wants, and when it doesn't get what it wants, it's going to make everyone keenly aware that it's not happy. That's how babies work. If you want to stay a spiritual baby, just make everything about yourself. Be easily offended. Be consumed with how other people treat you or how others view you. Focus only on your needs. Only surround yourself with people who you like and are easy. Focus solely on what the church is or isn't doing for you while neglecting to even consider what it looks like to lovingly give yourself to others. Come in to church today or small group tonight and come with the mentality of how are these people going to serve me? Be self-absorbed. There's another interesting article I read this week that was reasons why committed Christians aren't going to church anymore. And uh, here's a list of some of the reasons they gave. It's, you can throw up the next slide. It says this, um, I can find better preaching online. I can worship on my own. I have friends who can be my church. I can study on my own. I have work and family obligations. My weekends are busy. Church is boring. I'm not sure it's making a difference. I've been hurt by the church before. Do you see when you look at that list how all of those are primarily selfish reasons? It's all about me. What serves me the best? And why would I come when I can just go online and find better preaching? Another reason that I think is very, very true that isn't on that list, sometimes it's just easier to stay home, right? Right? We wake up in the morning and we look outside and it's 11 degrees and snowing and there's a math equation in our head. It's cold out there. My pajamas are warm. I think I might stay in my pajamas and watch online. And listen, hear me. I love that we have online services. 
And when people are sick or out of town, they can stay connected with us and they can hear what we're teaching. Like it's been a blessing to so many people, but church, we know that sometimes even really good things become enemies of the best thing, right? And if staying home is just because that's what's easy and I don't have to be around other people or engage with others, it's being selfish and it's not what God would have for you. You know, one of the coolest things about being a part of a church for a long time is you get to see people live out selflessness and maturity in very powerful ways. A couple of people that I want to acknowledge right now, Um, Tim and Becky Fulmer have been a part of our church for about nine or 10 years. I think they came when we were at the Trillium maybe or at International Aid. And Tim and Becky, he serves, he's played bass guitar. If you've been to our church for a while, you for sure have seen him before. He plays so often, so faithfully. And Becky, you don't know this, she serves in our production ministry just as much as Tim serves. And I remember talking with Tim in the green room between services once, and I'm like, man, you guys have been such faithful volunteers. You know, thank you for that. And Tim's like, oh, it's easy, we have a family rule. Whenever we're asked to serve, we just say yes. It is our priority. We are called to love and serve the church. We just make it a priority. So we just say yes when we're asked and we figure out the rest. And here's the amazing thing. I've seen it passed down generationally in that family. Joel Fulmer, he was a high school student of mine when I was the youth pastor. He would play drums all the time. Then he went to college, and when he was back on vacation, he was here or back from school on summer vacation, whatever, he was here serving. And now he's married, and he is working, and he's still here, and he's serving. And their daughter, Erin, the same thing. You're seeing generational blessing happen because you have a family that says, we are created to love and serve the church. It's maturity. Another person that I want to honor is my father-in-law, Randy Moeller. Um, He is an elder at our church. And if you know Randy, you know that he spends his life serving others. He was a dentist for years and years and years. And while he was a dentist, he would take many uh, medical missions trips, going to parts of the world where people could not get dental help. And he would spend a week just helping as many people as he could. And he ran the Love, Inc. division of the, their, their dental program. And uh, now that he's retired, he teaches a Bible study here at church. He loves to babysit and give us a break and hang out with our kids. And if he's not doing that, he's in his shop building things out of wood, primarily for other people. How can I serve? How can I be a blessing? How can I love? That's what maturity looks like. Okay, here's the next way we can stay a baby is uh, just stay undiscerning. Stay undiscerning. Look at verse 13. It says, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Do you see that part of growing in maturity is growing in our understanding and knowledge of God? It's growing in our biblical literacy. And just like maturing in life, you need to grow in wisdom and knowledge. So Mary and I made the mistake that we had babies in our house at the same time we had dogs. And if you're not married yet, uh, don't make that mistake. Here's why. Babies are undiscerning. Everything goes in their mouth. Food goes in their mouth. Toys go in their mouth. Whatever they can find, it's going in their mouth. And there were for sure moments where Judah would come crawling into the room and there'd be brown stuff all over his lips. And it's like, "Uh, honey, that's not chocolate, right? Right? They can't discern what is good for them, what is bad for them, and what is poison. Here's the question. Are you growing in your knowledge of God and his word? Can you defend what you believe? 
Can you defend your faith against its common criticisms? Here's three common criticisms of Christianity. Um, If God is good and powerful, why does he allow evil? Right, that's a criticism that people will ask you. Christianity is too exclusive. Wait, so you're telling me that if I grew up in India, like I'd be a Hindu, right? I'm just a Christian because of where I live and where I grew up. You can't possibly believe that Jesus is the only way. It's insanity. Why should I believe the Bible? Why should I hold that up as an authority? Do you have robust answers to these questions? Do you understand how scripture works together, the Old Testament relating to the new and what God is doing as scripture progresses? Can you explain why we aren't under the Old Testament law and you can have a cheeseburger tonight while you're watching the Super Bowl? Do you know these things? Right, Just like in real life, maturity can't happen without growth and knowledge. And this is something that our church takes seriously. And, and I want to plug something that we do as a church. You know, every Tuesday night, we have discipleship classes that are geared towards helping people grow in their knowledge of God and his word. And it's led primarily by Pastor Chris, but all of our pastors teach in it. And it's classes like walking through the Bible. How does the whole Bible fit together? Trying to build up your confidence in scripture. There's classes on theology. We're doing a class right now. It's answers to the most difficult questions. We're trying to build people in their knowledge and confidence of God's word. And what I would say is, is right now we have dozens of people going through that every week. It should be hundreds of people. We should take the call to grow in knowledge seriously. Then here's the third. Third way to stay a baby is just live life easily shaken, right? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Did you know that Jesus, when he was on earth with his disciples, you know, he often told them, hey guys, you just need to grow up a little bit. There was a story where Jesus, he sends his disciples to go into different villages and they're there to perform miracles and cast out demons and they go and they do it and the disciples come back and they're like, chests are out. They're like, dude, we're so awesome. Even the demons listen to us. This is amazing. You know what Jesus says? He says, don't be excited that the demons listen to you. Be excited that your name's written in the book of life. He's saying, hey, grow up. If your joy in life is based on how things are currently going, that's not gonna sustain you. Rejoice in what can't be taken away, that God knows you, that he loves you, and that you're saved. He's saying, stop making it about yourself because when bad things are going to happen, it's gonna devastate you. And a perfect example of this was Peter, right? Right, Peter's like, Jesus, I trust you. Let me walk out onto the water. He gets out on the water and he's like, man, it's rough out here. And he starts to sing. Peter, I'm not going to let anyone touch you, Jesus. I will die before anything happens to you. A couple hours later, he's denying Jesus to everyone he sees. It was instability. Mature people have deep roots and aren't shaken by every life circumstance in their lives, good or bad. They are rooted to the gospel. They are confident of God's love for them and his power in their life. And this plays out in both good and bad seasons. And church, here's what I'm trying to drive at. Maturity doesn't happen just because you've hung around a church for a long time. And there are people that have been part of churches for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and you're still spiritual babies. You're still self-absorbed. It's all about you and your preferences. You're still not actually taking growth in knowledge of God's word seriously. You can't defend your faith. You can't make a compelling case for Christianity. And when things are good, you're good. And when things are bad, you are despondent. 
saying we need the church and we need to take growth seriously. And, and so here's a tension that we have to get right as a church. Um, there, there's something really important we can't miss. So here's the tension. What Paul is saying is, is that all of us are in process, that none of us have reached maturity, right? So none of us are fully mature. Paul, when he talks about maturity, he says, until we reach maturity, he's including himself. And church, look here. If Paul says, I'm not mature yet, none of us are mature, right? None of us are living up to Paul's resume. And he's like, I'm not even the finished product. So here's the tension, We are all works in progress. We're all at different levels of maturity. And here's what that means. That means we can't be surprised when others act immaturely towards you. We can't be surprised that from time to time, being a part of a church means you're going to get hurt. In fact, I would argue if you deeply engage in a local church, you will absolutely get hurt from time to time. And to think that you can be a part of a group of people who are still growing in maturity and never get hurt would just be like saying, hey, I'm signing up to work in children's ministry and they bring you to the baby's room and you're shocked there's poopy diapers, right? It's part of the gig. Listen, if your goal in life is to never get hurt, don't engage in a church, don't engage with others. But if your goal in life is to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, if it is maturity, then we need to press in and trust that God's going to use the frustrations and hurt to make us more like Christ. Like he will use the hard times to mold us and shape us into the image of his son. So one part is, is we need to lead with grace. We can't be so offended when we get hurt. We need to show grace towards others. But here's the other part of the tension. We can't make excuses for ourselves. We need to be serious about our own sin. A couple nights ago, I put all the kids down to bed. And about 15 minutes after they were all down, Bo was at the top of the stairs. And he goes, hey, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? He goes, I need to talk to you. So I brought him down. I'm like, hey, what's up, Bo? And he goes, Dad, I just feel bad. And I said, what's wrong? He goes, well, today in art class, at the beginning of class, when the teacher was talking, I was messing around with some of my friends and I grabbed one of my friend's hat and I was gonna give it back, but the art teacher got really mad and she yelled at me. And I just feel really bad because I know I wasn't doing what was right. I know it was wrong. I know it was disrespectful. And I just feel bad that I did that. And here's the thing. I love having that conversation with Bo. Here's why. It's him growing in maturity. He's taking ownership and responsibility of what he did wrong. I know it was wrong. I know I shouldn't have done it. I feel terrible that it happened. I want to make things right. I think one of the best tests or gauge of where someone's heart is is do they have a high level or low level of ownership over their sin? Right, Romans 6.1 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And church, here's the truth. Those words my son said a couple days ago, there's some of you in here, you haven't said those words for years. And everything is everyone else's fault. And when you do something wrong, it's because you were forced to or they misunderstood your intentions. And part of being mature is a desire to lead with grace towards others while having a high ownership of your sin because you want to walk in a way that honors the Lord and you want to grow in maturity. We can't have that backwards where we're hard on everyone else and easy on ourselves. All right, look at verse 15 as we wrap up. Here's what it says. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if the goal is maturity and the vehicle is the local church, here's the process by which the church helps you become mature. It's speaking the truth in love to one another. We have to speak the truth in love. You see it right in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is at the head, into Christ. We have that responsibility. And here's what's so cool. It happens both ways. Do you know that God matures us? God matures me when I have to speak truth and love someone who's difficult. When I have to figure out that balance, God is using that to grow and mature me. And when someone speaks a hard truth into my life lovingly, he also uses that to grow and mature me. Like church, let me be really clear about what I'm saying. That person in your small group who drives you crazy, that's God's grace in your life. He is using that person to make you more like Jesus. Like it is good for us to have to sometimes deal with someone where it's like, I don't know how to help them and they drive me crazy, but I need to love them and I need to be patient with them and I need to be humble, but I still need to tell them the truth and point them to the truth of God's word, right? We have a saying around harvest that that love without truth is hypocrisy, right? If I don't love you enough to tell you the truth. I don't actually love you. I just love myself and care more about my comfort than helping you. But truth without love is brutality. We can't just pound people and need to be right. We need to do it with grace and humility and love. And that's a balance that takes a lot of work and time to get right. But that is what Christ is to us, right? So as we work to figure that out, we're becoming more like Christ and we need people to speak into our lives. Um, have any of you ever heard your voice on like a recording before? Isn't that awful? Right, because the, the, the problem is, is we don't sound like we think we sound. Like I remember when I first started preaching, I would watch my messages back and I'd be like, is that what I sound like, Mary? Like I'm way whinier than I think I am. And she's like, yep, that's you, babe. And uh, it's a little jarring. Well, I think our lives work that same way too, where we have blind spots. What we think is right sometimes isn't right. How we think we come across isn't exactly how we come across. What we think are right priorities might not be right priorities. So we need community, people who know us and are engaged with us and love us enough to tell us the truth, but under the foundation of we all love Jesus together. We all know we're works in progress. We're growing together to glorify God. We need to become more like Jesus. That is God's primary calling on your life, and he will work all circumstances in your life to accomplish those things but he's given us a vehicle and a calling to be a part of a local church. So here's what I wanna do as we close. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I wanna close this way. I just wanna ask a a, a very, very simple question. Um, Are you growing in spiritual maturity? Can you look at your life right now and see tangible growth in self-control and 
kindness and humility and a genuine love for others? Is God accomplishing those things in your heart? Are you different than you were six months ago or a year ago? Because a life that is being saved is a life that is being constantly transformed from one degree of glory to another. Then the other question I would ask too is, is again, we asked at the beginning of the year, what's the next yes you need to say to the Lord? What's the next yes you need to say to the church? If this is the vehicle by which we grow together into maturity, where is God calling you to, to maybe take that next step of obedience and that next step of engagement? I wanna let you wrestle with that for a moment. And... Um, Man, I'm glad that God has given us a family to do life with together and that we're not on our own and not isolated, that we have people in our lives that we can love and be loved by that actively pushes against the selfishness that so easily resides in all of our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this service. I thank you for everything that you're doing in this church. God, I just... um, Thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth, God. I thank you for the calling that you've given us, that you've loved us, that you've saved us, and and that you give our life purpose and meaning and value, and that every day we have the ability to step into maturity, to glorify you more and more. Maybe that be something that we take with seriousness. Would you help us in that? We love you and need you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.